here's where we're going. Um, not today, but next week we're going to start a series for a while in the book of Ephesians. Uh, actually, next week we're going to be in the book of Acts, talking about how the church got started at Ephesus, and then we're going to spend probably we're going to spend a while in the book of Ephesians. Okay. And um, I think it'll be, first of all, in 26 years here. Um, I've never preached to it, so it'll be fun for me, too. So uh, we are, uh, that's where we're headed. Last week, we talked about family, uh, baby dedication, and we talked about family. We talked about the, the, the importance of, uh, in the life of Christ, being um, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how he developed um, as a young man. And... Um, the role that it plays for us as, as, as adults and parents. And this week, I want to talk about church family. Um, and I want to do that in the context of two things. First of all, I'm going to look at the book of Genesis and how God originally instituted the family. We're going to look at a couple of principles there. Then we're going to go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at how the church started. And what you're going to see is some of the same principles in Genesis chapter 2 for the human family is also the thing that happens in Acts chapter 2 for the church family. And then we're going to draw that in and talk about how we apply it here as a church family and what we want, and, uh, what we want to do and what we expect and, and, and the direction we want to go. So with that in mind, Genesis chapter 2, uh, it's going to be a familiar passage to you. Um, and here's, here's what it goes. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden... To tend it and keep it. So Adam automatically has a job. This is before the fall. I don't want to shatter your idea of heaven. But I think we have jobs in heaven. Okay. Um, I think we like it, but I think we all have jobs in heaven. Now, I know some of you say, well, I hope I don't get this job. Uh, well, but whatever your job is, I'm sure it will be something you enjoy. Because before the fall, uh, Adam enjoyed his job. And it went well. There was no weeds. There were no issues. There was no death. There was, it was an incredible world. So it says, to kend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded a man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat thereof, you, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable or compatible as some things say. Damn. Going on, here's what it says. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. It's interesting that God, one of the jobs that Adam has is to name the animals. Okay? And I think there's a purpose in that because I think as Adam goes through and looks at it and goes, um, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Okay, that's a bull, and that's a cow, and, okay, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm stuck now. Huh? Yes, that's a rooster, and that's a hen. You get the idea. As he goes through and names them, he's noticing male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, male. There's nothing there at this point. And I think that's part of the reason God has him do this. I think he's teaching Adam something. He's teaching Adam the idea that there is a male and there is a female. There is, there is companionship here. And it, but notice what it goes on to say. So he gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So as he looks at all this, he goes, okay, now wait a minute. All of them have a match except me. There's nothing like me. None of those things are like me. And so notice what it goes on to say. Um, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Now, I don't think this is new. I mean, you know... A guy sleeping. Is that really a miraculous thing? Um, but it says he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And I think this is awesome, because while he, he doesn't even know this happens, okay, God takes a rib, um, one of his ribs, or some translations talk about something from his side, and closed up the flesh in his place. So this is like the first surgery in the Bible. Um, 
And then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Now, this is interesting because Adam, Adam was created from dirt. Okay. Um, this was not from my wife. This was from another girl that I dated. But to give you the kind of dating relationships that we had, she made me a bookmark for my Bible. And it said, man was created from dirt, and dirt that is stuck on itself is mud. <clears throat> now, I don't know why she gave it to me, but um, anyway, so I didn't marry her either. Anyway, um, but I mean, here's the thing. I mean, man was created from dirt. Woman, this is interesting to me. Woman was created from the side of man. And here's the, end, the thing that I think is so fascinating is this. Women, a woman was the last thing that God created. I think, in my mind, as God creates everything, and I, again, I'm gonna, let, me, let me just play for a minute, okay, with the Bible and God and all that. I think God kept going, I can do better than that, I can do better than that, I can do better than that. Here it is. This is the pinnacle of my greatest creation, woman. This is it. Ta-da! This is, this is as good as it could ever possibly get. I have perfected creation, and here it is, woman. And then he takes her, and he brings her to Adam to see what Adam's going to say. He, and this is important. He presents her to Adam... As a gift to see if Adam will accept it and embrace her. Okay? Everybody follow me so far? And it says, And Adam now said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. I think literally it's the idea of, Whoa, that is awesome. Whoa, let's just call her a whoa man. I mean, this is awesome. And he, cre- and, he, and he has this woman there, and he presents her. Now, this is important, okay? Because notice what it goes on to say in the next passage. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the woman, and they were not ashamed. In other words, what you have here is you have God... Now follow this out for me for a minute. God presents woman to Adam as, his, as a gift. And Adam embraces and receives that gift as a gift from God. And we call it marriage. Now kids, listen to me for a second. Do you see at any point in this story where it says Adam loved Eve? Love is not part of this package yet. But receiving a woman as a gift from God and making a covenant and commitment to her is. Well, we just don't love each other anymore. Time out. Time out. I think I love my wife and we have a great relationship that involves love, but our marriage is based on commitment and covenant. Okay? That was sourced in Genesis. And it says, and he received her as a gift. And it says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. Now, time out. We'll have two people on the planet. Why are we talking about three? Because it is assumed... And God's going to later tell them this, to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. There's this implied in creation is this idea of replicating itself over and over again. So let's drill it down for a little bit and talk about a couple of things as we talk about this story. One of the things that you see in the Genesis account of God and instituting a family and instituting creation and doing all that is one of the things that you see is that God genuinely cares for these people. 
God has provided for them. God has given them a place to live. God has created a a great environment for them to grow. And so one of the things that you see inherent in the creation story is this idea that, that God genuinely cares about these people. Second thing you see in this creation story is that God protects them. Um, I don't have time to dive into it this morning, but when God sets it up for Adam, he says, Adam, look, every tree here, just enjoy. It's all here for you. But there's one tree. It'll change everything for you. Don't eat of that one. That's a tree you can't partake of. That's interesting because, first of all, I think that Adam drops the ball. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, if it wasn't for Eve, we wouldn't be in this mess. If it wasn't for Adam, we wouldn't be in this mess. Because when you read the Genesis account, God gave the command to Adam, which meant all that Eve knew was what Adam told her. And it's interesting to me, either Eve added to the Scripture or Adam added to the Scripture. Because when Satan tempts him, he says... Hath God, God said, you shall, the answer that Eve gives is, we can't even touch it. God never said couldn't touch it. said can't eat of it. Big difference. Because, and I think they set themselves up for a fall because it says, when she saw that the tree was good for fruit. So in other words, I think when Eve said, either because Adam told her, because she added to the scripture, we can't touch it. Satan went, really? Nothing happened to me. Then she turned to, and this is important, she turns to Adam, she partakes, and she turns to Adam. So everybody's like, well, so Adam is like the first passive guy. He's the only guy on the planet, but he's passive in his whole approach to this thing. And they partake together, and sin enters into the world. And then you know the story. Um, What's going to happen next is all of a sudden now the whole thing is marred and God's going to take them and remove them from the garden. And when you read the story, it seems like, it seems like God's being really cruel. Because it says God kicks them out of the garden and he places two flaming swords by and he protects them from ever going back into the garden. And it's like, boy, what a mean, angry God. But the reality of it is, when you study your scripture, here's what you're going to find. There are two trees that are mentioned in the, in the book of Genesis. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not eat of, and the tree of life. You know where you find the tree of life again mentioned in the Bible? In Revelation in heaven. A lot of Bible scholars believe that what happened was had Adam and Eve eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then turned around and eaten of the tree of life, they would have, begun, they would have been condemned in their sin forever with no hope of redemption. So many Bible scholars see them kicking Adam and Eve, God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden and not allowing them back in was actually their protection. And it was actually to protect them from, for God to still be able to provide a way for them to have eternal life. So it, even, in God's, even in God's discipline of them, he shows this incredible love. He shows this incredible protection of them. Another thing you see in the story when you, when you look at it is this idea that in this story, there is an assumption that they're going to replenish the earth. There is an assumption that this thing's going to continue, that they're going to have children. Because inherent in the creation story is the idea that it continues on. It's not like I'm going to create Adam and Eve and it's just for you guys. And then when you guys are done, we'll just do something else. So you guys are going to carry on in creating my image over and over and over again. Um, and so you have this idea of, of, of children. You have this idea of growth. You have this idea of this thing continuing to get uh, bigger and bigger. And then you find the idea that they're connected to God. Um, and that's an incredible thing because when sin enters into the picture... Um, Again, I, there's a lot to learn from Genesis. I, I love Genesis, but there's a lot to learn here. When sin comes in, what do they do? What, what's one of the first things that happens? Huh? Before they hide. They realize that they're naked and they sew fig leaves together. I don't know if you've ever like stopped and thought about this process. Fig leaves? Sewn together? 
For people who have never worn clothes, how comfortable do you think that was? So now all of a sudden, their freedom, openness, and honesty, now they're hiding from each other. And by the way, when you pluck a leaf off of whatever it is growing on, what does it start to do? It's going to start to die. So now all of a sudden, the leaf might have been this big, and then a couple hours later, it's getting small. So it's like, we got a problem here. And they start finding and hiding from God. And it says that God, was, God in the cool of the day, is walking, and he says, Adam, where are you? And he goes, well, we were naked and we hid. And God said, wait a minute, time out. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? Because that's the only way you could even know that. And then, and I think this is the sad part of the story we don't often talk about. But God realizes that their fig leaves were a temporary solution. And so God makes skins of an animal to clothe them with. And for the first time, for the first time, Adam and Eve saw something dead. For the first time, Adam and Eve came across an animal that was skinned and covered with blood because of them. And God provided a way for them to deal with their sin and their nakedness now that they had to cover and hide. And it affected their communion with God. And it changed everything. And we know that's the reason for a bloody death of Christ on the cross. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so you have this story where you see God... um, Wanting that fellowship and communication, but it gets marred. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is about the church as it starts out. In the church, when it starts out, um, it, everything's new. I mean, a bunch of people get saved. Here's what Acts chapter 2 says. Um, it says, oh, oh yeah, I, I skipped past that one. Um, yeah, keep going. Oh, no, that's it. Thanks, Eli. Um, yeah, see, it's an Eagle Scout running for you. But anyway, all right. <laughs> Um, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. This comes after 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And it says, and they sold their possessions of good and divided them among all as anyone had need. You have to understand that when the church starts out, it's revolutionary. Because when these people put their faith and trust in Christ, often they would lose, their family would excommunicate them. So they would lose all contact with their family. In some cases, their bosses would fire them. In some cases, if they had a business, people would stop doing business with them. And so these people would all of a sudden come to church, and they were meeting daily at that point. They would come to the church and they'd go, I'm so happy I have my faith and trust in Christ, but pray for me. I just lost my job. And people started going, well, you know what? what? You can come work for me. Well, you know, that would be great. I don't have a place to live. Will you come live with me? And so all of a sudden now this church is formed where they're taking care and doing all of these things one for another. And you have this thing called the church that starts in Acts chapter 2. And here's the thing. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 2 that you see in Genesis chapter 2. You see the idea that they care for one another. They're committed to one another to help one another out. They genuinely love each other. Um, they're doing whatever they can, even if it means that, that they have to sell some stuff. That's okay with them. They don't mind doing that because they're the church. They're, they're, they're doing that one for another. They're protecting one another. They're, 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 they're literally just watching out and, and care. They're meeting daily um, as far as at this point in history, because they need that much encouragement. I mean, it's, it, everybody's against them, so they need each other to, to meet once a day and go, man, how was your day? Because mine was lousy. And, well, you know, you know, and they were able to encourage each other and build each other up. They genuinely work to connect to God, it says, and they continue steadfastly in doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Their connection to God and to one another was very, very important. And then you see the last idea is it continues to grow. 
I mean, this is right after Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is the, is, is the story of Pentecost. And this thing just takes off, and it snowballs from here. And next week we're going to talk about how that church in Ephesus got started. And it was just a small byproduct of this happening in Acts chapter 2. And this church thing just kind of continues to take off. And you and I are here today because of this passage. Because this thing grew. So let's talk about us as a church and try to get into some practical things. And, and we talk about the idea of church family. Here's the deal. We have an obligation and responsibility to care for each other. That's, where, that, that's our job. I know you probably came here today to learn something and to grow and to fellowship and everything. But you want to tell you why? You, let me tell you what drives me here every Sunday. I want to be able to minister to somebody. We have to care for one another when we walk in this building. You know why we put, nobody wants their face on a six-foot screen with their name. You know why we put it there? Because we want you to learn names. We want you to learn people. We want to be able to learn how to care for one another. I've got to be honest with you. It was a lot easier in the past. It gets harder. As it gets bigger, it gets harder. Right now, if I were to, and years ago, years ago, years ago, it was... I could go and visit somebody's home and sit down and we could spend a couple hours together. Um, do you know that right now, with the size that we are as a church, if every Monday through Friday I visited one person that's in our database right now, an entire year I couldn't get through the whole congregation? So it can't be one person anymore. It's got to be all of us. It's got to be all of us watching out for each other. And you go, well, I can't take care of everybody here. No, you don't need to. Just, just take two or three or four people that you're going to check up on, that you're going to, uh, every week or every so often, you're going to give a phone call to. You're going to make sure they're doing okay. It's all of us together. That's how the early church started out. It, it, it wasn't one person came in and said, everybody can come live with me. It was people just found somebody they could minister to and encourage and pour their life into. That's what it takes. It was God caring for Adam and Eve in the garden and saying, okay, I'm going to set this up for you. And so as we, as a church, one of the things that we have to do is we have to care for one another. And as we get, and, and we're trying to learn how to do that better right now, but we're in the process of it. It's just, it's part of the process. Um, you know, and that's part of where we are, is learning to take care of uh, one another. We have to protect each other. Okay? Just like God in the garden Came to Adam and Eve and said, I'm going to protect you. See that tree over there? Don't eat of it. And then when they did eat of it, God said, I'm going to have to keep you out of the garden because I've got to protect you from this thing. In the same way, we have to watch out for one another. And so that means at times you're going to have to go to somebody. Hopefully you've earned the right to be heard. And you go to somebody and say, hey, look, you know what? I see you going down this path. It's probably not the best. Can I help you? Can, can, can we do something here? We watch out for each other's kids. Now, that's getting on shaky ground when you start going, you're going to tell my kids not to run in church if I think your kids are going to hurt themselves or somebody else? Yeah. You know, they want to go run around a circle up here in the front just by themselves. Man, wear yourself out. Have had it, you know. But, you know, if a kid goes barreling all the way through and there's 20 people in the lobby, I'll go, hey, 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 you know, don't, don't run here. Go somewhere else and run, but not right here. See some kid playing in a parking lot, I'm going to go up and go, hey, look, um, this is not a good idea. You know, this is not a good idea. Why? Because I love them. I want to protect them. I want to keep them safe and I want to keep everybody else safe. By the same token, if, if somebody comes to you and goes, hey, look, you know what? I'm concerned because I see a... I see you pulling away. I see you doing this. I see it. Look, it's because we want to protect each other. By the same token, don't let somebody say something about somebody else in the church. Shut it down. You want to gossip about somebody? We're going to shut it down. Okay? We're family. We get shot at enough outside these walls to come into here and shoot at each other. In here, we're cheerleaders, we're coaches, we're helping one another, we're encouraging one another, we're building one another up. Um, we don't need to be shooting each other. And I see that in too many churches. Somebody gets something in their craw against somebody else. Time out. Okay? Get over it, move on. 
Um, you go, well, that's pretty harsh. I was at a pastor's conference this week. I always pull, try to pull takeaways. You want to know what one of those takeaways I heard was? Dead men don't respond. As a believer, if you're dead to yourself and alive unto God, it doesn't matter what people say. When you're alive to yourself, all of a sudden you start to react. But dead people don't respond. And if we're to be dead to ourselves and alive unto God, then as things come at us, they bounce off because we're dead to ourselves. And, you know, and, and so what happens is it's easy sometimes for us to get something in our craw because, well, that person said this about me. Stop being so alive to yourself. It's about Christ. That needs to be the focus, not you, not me. Third idea here, not only do we protect, not only do we care um, about one another, but a third idea is we connect to God. Now, look. If we don't have a God element in this thing, this is nothing more than a big fancy social club. And we're not interested in that. You can go join the golf club if that's what you want. There's all kinds of organizations that are social in nature that you can go be a part of. Great organizations. Jump in with both feet. One of the things that we want to do is we want to connect to God. That's why we spend time teaching on Sunday. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have all kinds of Bible studies. That's why we... We, if you want to grow as a Christian or learn as a Christian, you need to know we will give you every resource we can give you to help you do that. That's why we do the marriage conference. That's why we do things, because we want to be able to grow and center things on the Word of God. And that's important, because we want to grow in our relationship to God. And that's why you hear us say over and over and over again, we're not content with anybody staying where they are spiritually. We are all here to grow, to take the next step, to go to the next, to go to the next thing that God has for us. We are all in a process, myself included, growing and learning. And we want to create an environment in which we can do that. So as a church family, that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to grow in fellowship. We're trying to um, care for one another. We're trying to protect one another. And the last thing is, and this is a little bit of the rub for some of you, we're growing. Okay, and so I want to spend a little time on that this morning, and I'm going to try to illustrate it in a way that um, hopefully it'll drive it home for you. But I want to tell you about my family. When I got out of college, I was engaged to Jean, and we got married. We got married in December, and we were in Petersburg, Virginia, and we were dirt poor. We made a combined income of $12,000. We owned $18,000 in school loans. Uh, we couldn't afford diddly. In fact, we could afford like did. I mean, it was bad, okay? We couldn't afford a phone, so we were both teachers. If a parent had a problem with us, they had to come to our apartment or they had to see us at school. We could not, we did not even, we could not afford a phone. When we got married, we couldn't afford a wedding photographer. We could afford film. We found somebody to take pictures for us at our wedding at the end of the wedding, he handed us rolls of film, and about every month we'd take another roll and get it developed. Um, that's the way it was when we got started. We did, we had um, no cable, no, like, none, none of that stuff. I did have it, this was the late, this was the early 80s. I had an awesome stereo, okay, and it was on cement blocks with boards. Um, so, you know, it was a great life. One bedroom apartment, that was it. It was simple. It was so simple. It was so, I mean, it was hard, but it was so simple. You know, um, you know, you get up in the morning, you know, once a week, you put oil in the car and you drive for the week. And then the next week, you put more oil in the car. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a simple, simple life. We left Virginia and we went to Whitewater, Wisconsin. My wife was the first Vaughn to ever leave the state of Virginia. We took her to West Whitewater, Wisconsin, where when it snowed, after the first snow, you didn't see the ground until spring. My wife had never seen that much snow in her life. We were at a camp work. I was working about 14, 16 hours a day. Um, she was working part-time. It was kind of like ships passing in the night most of the time. There was a lot of times she was there by herself. And so we decided that we were going to get a dog. And we got Sparky. Life got complicated. 
Because now we couldn't go as much because somebody had to take care of Sparky. And Sparky was an indoor dog. He was a, what was it? Australian Shepherd, so he shed like nobody's business. Um, And he was an indoor dog. And if you look at any of our Christmas pictures from the beginning, you see a picture of Gene, me, and Sparky. And uh, life got a little complicated with Sparky because, like I say, we were always having to let him out or clean up after him and feed him and all those kinds of things. And it was, it was, it w- it was just, it was hard. It's really hard. We moved to Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa. We spent about three years up there. Moved to Sioux City, Iowa, and then we ended up having JT. Now life really got complicated <laughs> because now. Now we have a child, and it changed everything. I mean, it was so overwhelming to us. Because now we had to have, like, car seat. I mean, Sparky didn't need a car seat. You know, we had to have a special bed, a crib, and a bassinet, and, and special juice glasses for him to drink out of. Special, you know, little little things that stick to the tray so they can't flip the food all over everywhere, you know, and our lives, I mean, they became, you know, we, you couldn't sleep at night now because they were always getting up at the oddest times. I mean, I slept fine, but um, <laughs> it just, life got really, really complicated for us. It was, it was, it was hard. Um, and then for some odd reason, we decided to do it again. And Josh came along. And, um, you know, I mean, that was really hard now because now you got two of them. One was out of diapers, and now you got one in the, in the whole diaper thing. And that was a whole other world. So now you got the whole diaper thing going on. And uh, then we started to realize that the house was going to be too small because we only had two bedroom house, and now you got both the boys in the same bedroom, and, you know, it's, they're going to kill each other at some point, so we got to separate them. So then we had to get a different house, and then that, that you know, so now, now it's getting expensive, because, you know, and, and they're not even teenagers yet. We haven't, you know, we haven't gotten to the feeding part yet, where they really start eating. Um, and that was just, it was so hard, it was so hard to do all of that. Um, so we started a garden, and we raised a hog, and we raised a cow, and we raised chickens. We raised 100 chickens every year. We'd sell half, we'd keep half. Um, big garden, feed the kids, all that kind of thing. Um, and it was just, it was just hard. It's just so hard to have two kids. Um, and then they went off to college. It was awesome. Now it's just Gene and I again. And the dog, we, we're to an outside dog now. So even in the house, we don't have to deal with that shedding. It's a great, nice life of just the two of us. It's awesome. And uh, we enjoyed that. That was a great time. And then um, Jimmy brought home this girl, Erin. Well, he brought home a bunch of girls, but the only one we wanted to keep was Erin. Um, the joke in our house is Gene prayed all the others away. So anyway, um, so Erin comes in. Now, now you've got to realize, up until now, it's been three guys and one girl. Now it's three to two. And I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable around the girl thing. I haven't been around. All of a sudden, we got to do the girl thing. So I'm trying to learn how to do the girl thing. And then they got married, and now it really gets complicated. Now I've got to learn the in-law thing, okay? So I'm doing the in-law thing and learning that and trying to figure that thing out. And it's just, you know, vacations now are hard because before it was like, let's just go on vacation, and I can get a one, one motel room, and now we got to get two, and then... And now it's more expensive, and we go out to eat now. I'm paying for five people instead of four people, or even better, instead of two people. Um, so now it's all expensive, and it's getting harder and harder and harder. Um, and if that wasn't enough, Josh brings home one. And so now, now, now the odds are, I mean, now it's 3-3. Three, three. three guys, three girls. And now I'm having to do the whole in-law thing with another girl. Um, and now, I mean, now we go on vacation, it's like, now we got to get three rooms, well, it's cheaper to buy a cabin, and we go out to, when we go out to eat, and, and we pay for everybody, you got to take out a loan, and, 
you know, and then they get, they both get houses they want to work on. It's like, oh, we got dad, he's cheap, free labor. Um, and then you get all of that mess going on. It got such so, 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 just, just all this stuff. And then Claire. And it is like, oh, man. I mean, you want to talk about complicated now? Now my living room, which was really nice. I mean, this morning I got up, and I'm getting ready, and I grab the stuff in my office, and I'm walking through my living room in my sock feet. I don't even have my house slippers on, and she had left a rock in the middle of the floor, and I stepped right on it, and it was dark. And, you know, if she wasn't around, I wouldn't have any of that stuff going on. And then we had her last night, and she wouldn't go to sleep, and she destroyed my living room completely. Uh, we tried to, we literally took her outside and just ran around the farm, just let her run around the farm thinking, maybe this will tire her out. She wouldn't even sleep, Didn't, did nothing, absolutely nothing, the biggest waste of time we, we had. <laughs> and I just want you to know that my life is really hard and complicated right now. It was so much easier to go back to our little apartment in Virginia. One bedroom, two cars that barely worked, struggling as we could to get it with a really cool stereo, and just the two of us. Now, let me ask something. As I'm sitting here talking about this, how mad are you right now at me? Exactly right. You're exactly right. You're sitting here going, you have no idea. Your kids live close to you. You get to see them. You get to be with your granddaughter. She gets to be overnight with you. You have a great wife. She should have never married you. You have a great house. You have God has taken care of you and God has done so much to you. And you don't know, you don't know how blessed you are, right? Pastor, I liked it better when the church was smaller. Pastor, just so many people, it's just overwhelming to me. Pastor, you know, I was used to sitting in this spot, and I came in, and somebody sat in that spot now. Now I've got to go find a new spot. Pastor, I had my parking space. My parking space is there. Somebody was there. And there's just so many people. And it's just so hard. You know, it used to be this way, and now we've got all these changes. Want to know how mad I get? Am I making my point? It's a joy when my family grew. I, if I could have had it over with, I would have done the, I call my daughter, you're supposed to call my daughter-in-law, they're my daughter's. I'd have had them long. Forget the boys. I, I mean, I, I probably spend more money on the girls than I do the boys. I mean, I, I, the, the, the daughter thing is like the most awesome thing in the world. Now, I'm glad I didn't have to raise them. You know, I got them after parents had done all that stuff. That was great. Their parents did a great job. I just got to be the recipient of it. It's awesome. That's the way to do it. Because I didn't have to deal with all the girl drama of, of high school and college and all that stuff. You know, those those two boys are the greatest, one of the greatest blessings in our lives. Those, those, those girls, I love them like they're my own kids. Um, I was scared going into the grandpa thing. I didn't know if I could do it or not. Little children scare me. And babies really scare me. And I just wasn't sure if I could make that, all that adapting and changing and and, and our house, and I wouldn't go back to, you know, I, this morning I stepped on that rock and thought, oh, that's so awesome to step on a rock for my grandchild. You know, um, I never thought my boys would ever be in the same area because I grew up away from my grandparents. The second we got a chance, everybody moved away because that's where God had us. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to have my, grand, my, my kids and my grandkids and my daughters close. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, let me tell you something. All those issues that I talked about, 
They're still real. It takes us two weeks to plan a family vacation. We go back and forth, text, emails, sitting down at dinner, trying to work out where we can go, how many rooms we need, and who can get off at what time, and when can we all, and trying to get six adult schedules all together to make a vacation. All that stuff is still real. All that stuff still has to be solved. But in the big picture, not that big a deal. Because I'm planning a vacation with all of us. And it's cool when we can all do something like that. As a church, as we grow, does it get uncomfortable? Yeah. Do things have to change maybe too fast? Yeah. Do things have to, like, not go the way that I want them? Yeah, I, I, I get that. Look, I'm the guy who doesn't want eight windows in this building. But everybody likes the windows. Most of you like the windows. So you know what? I'm glad for the windows. Kind of. So I have to try to figure out something, do something on the stage, and it's like, oh, it's a whole lighting problem. It's all, you know what? Hey, look, if that's what we want, if that's what's best for us as a church, then that's what's best for us as a church. I can just get over it and move on. You know, one day I'll probably put stained glass in them if I can, get away with it. But, I mean, no, I, you know, we'll do something. You follow what I'm saying? This isn't the church that I would do the way I want to do church. You need to know that. But if I did church the way I want to do church, nobody would be here. Because you're not me. You're not me. We do church here for what's best for us as a group. And we're going to have to grow and we have to adapt. And we have to change. And that's part of it. But when you look back from some of us who have been here at the beginning. You know, I was talking to somebody this morning about it. We had like 100, 120 people here last week. I can remember when 100 and 120 people was a high on Easter Sunday. And it was snowing last week. And it was icy and we still had people show up. It was insane. You know, my mom in Texas, you know, she's like, oh, so you guys had a blizzard. I said, yeah, we had 100 people in church today. She goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, these people are not right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I said, you know, I said, it was awesome. As... The body of Christ, when God decides to grow our church family, there's going to be issues that come with it. Just like there is as my family has grown. You choose to focus on the blessing, stepping on a rock this morning. Or you choose to focus on the problem. I want to challenge you as we go forward. To make sure that we understand that growth is often the natural part of God's family doing God's work. Not always. There are situations where, you know, God chooses not to grow for one reason or another. But when God's in the middle of growing it, then we adapt and we're flexible with it. Just like I have had to make all kinds of adapting and being flexible with things as our family has grown. And I just want to challenge you because it's easy for us. I I always say we have this foggy thing in our brains about going back to the good old days. And I hear people going, oh, it'd be so nice to go back to the good old days. Oh, you know, in the church, when we just started out in Holly Springs, time out. You're only remembering the good stuff. Okay. Do you remember coming to the church and a sign on the door that says no bathrooms today? Because the water level had risen in the creek and the septic was below the, was below the water level and the bathrooms were in the basement and we had no bathrooms. Can you imagine coming to church today and go, with no bathrooms? You want to know why we built some of the nicest bathrooms we could build out there? Because we paid the price for it early in this ministry. You know? And I look at it and I, I say that to say this. Look, as we, as, we, as we grow, as God is doing what I... I it's insane to me what God's doing. It honestly is. It is overwhelming to me. This thing is moving faster than I ever imagined it to move. I, I, I'm one of those guys that likes slow and steady. I don't, I don't like super, super fast. But if God's at work, I've always wanted to be in the middle of what God's doing. 
And there's no question God's doing something really cool here because I will put this congregation, I will put the fellowship in this place up against any church within 100 miles of here. I will put the way that we work together as a church up against any church around here. You know, and when I'm at a pastor's conference and I'm talking to some of these guys, I, 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 almost, I almost felt guilty. Because, you know, I mean, you're talking to guys who are discouraged and guys who are overwhelmed and stuff like that. And I'm going, man, we can't keep up. It's like awesome. You ought to see, you know, we built a building in 10 months. And and I have to kind of back it off and go, you know, because I want to encourage them. I don't want to discourage them. But it was just overwhelming to be able to, when I look back and see what God's done and what God's doing and people that God's bringing and trying to keep up and all of that. And it's part was part of the original creation. It was part of the early church. It's part of what God's doing here. So we have to care for one another. We've got to protect one another. We've got to make sure that God stays at the center of it, connected to him. And we've got to make sure that we're flexible as things grow and change and figure out. One of these days, you're going to come into the parking lot and it's going to be lines And, and the goal is just like in the big city, park between the lines. <laughs> but we need to do it. We're going to have to do it. You know, that's okay. That's, you know, some of you are going to go, Ooh, you know, I'm just going to park on the middle of it just because. Okay, we'll put your spot way out there. It's change, adapt, just like in my living room right now. We've got to change and adapt. There's stuff that I have to put away when Claire comes because I don't want her to get into it. That's okay. You know, we love having her there. And we love having the people here. We built this for people who have never been here. And we continue to reach out. And we continue to allow God to grow it at his rate and what he wants to do here. We are thrilled you're here. Understand, though, we're in the middle of figuring stuff out. Somebody asked me, I said, hey, what do you, how, how do you really feel about this thing, Pastor? I said, here, here's just my analogy. My analogy is you're expecting your first child. And you walk into the doctor, and you go into the living room, and the doctor comes out and goes, congratulations, you've had triplets. And you were planning on one. Now, are you excited that you have triplets? Well, are you excited you have triplets? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nikki, are you excited you have triplets? Yes, you're excited. Does everything change dramatically as far as your approach to all of it? Yeah. You're thrilled with that, but yet that means that you're just overwhelmed with it too. And that's kind of where we are. So you just hang on. We'll figure it out. Ride the ride with us. Um, it's been an incredible ride to this point. None of us expected this, okay? But we're a family, and we'll figure it out. And as a family, guess what? We'll have some rocks on the living room floor. And we'll have issues that later on down the line we laugh about but until then until then we work together we encourage one another we comfort one another we protect one another and as god brings other people here we embrace them as well and we embrace them as well just like when he brought home aaron i embraced her as my own daughter and this one um you know alex yeah Number two, you know, after the first one, they're all, you just number them, um, you know, and Claire, you know, and we've embraced them. And our family is so much richer because of it. And our experiences are so much richer. And the same thing will happen here. The same thing will happen here. So I end this morning with this. As we talk about this idea of our church family, let's understand a couple of things. As a church family, we are to care for one another. Find somebody in this group to care for this week. We encourage, we help, we pray, we fellowship, we build one another up. We grow in our relationship to one another, and we grow in our relationship to God. And we invite anyone who wants to be a part of this incredible family to join us, and we will embrace them, and we will love them and care for them just as we do each other. That's what a healthy church family needs to be. And that's where we're going.
Thanks for being on the journey with us. It's going to be one incredible ride. And it has been. The guys who can tell you who've been here from the beginning, it has been already. And I've always said this, and you need to know. I always have believed that the best days of our ministry are not behind us. They're still in front of us. And that used to be easy to say when you were 40 people in a little building in a town that looked like a dump. Now, I'm so overwhelmed at God's doing, and, and I share this with the board too, I, I don't know how I can get any better than this. But I genuinely believe it will. I genuinely believe it will. I genuinely believe the best days, for, and you go, you go, well, isn't that scare you? It scares the life out of me. Because I'm not sure I can lead this group, much less anybody else. But if this is what God's done, then, then God will give us the wisdom and strength and abilities and talents and stuff to figure it out. He got us this far. He's not going to abandon us now. And I just want to encourage you, hang in there with us. I know some of you, you know, some of the stuff, you get a little frustrated and, you know, just write it out with us, okay? Um, and when it's all said and done, I think you'll be able to look back on it and go, wow. What a ride. What a ride. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for all you're doing. Lord, sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes, Lord, we lose our focus. Sometimes, Lord, we start to focus on things that really don't matter. And, Lord, in our families, in our lives, in our jobs, in our church, would you help us to really keep a decent perspective on what you're doing and what you want to do? Lord, you know, we've had this discussion many times. I am just amazed at what you have done here. And Lord, uh, as a group of people, the reality of it is we don't deserve each other. But you have been so good in bringing us all together. So Lord, would you help us to encourage? Would you help us to care? Would you help us to protect? Would you help us to love one another like we should? And Lord, as you bring people here, may we share that love and care and concern and that fellowship with them as well. May we never get to the point, Lord, that it's all about us and not about others. May we never get to the point, Lord, that you are not the focus of what we do here. But Lord, may we have you center of it all. And when it is all said and done, Lord, and we look back, may we be able to say that we did the best that we could with the resources that we had. And above all else, Lord, we honored and glorified you to the best of our ability. So, Lord, use us. And again, thanks for what you're doing. Continue to work in lives. And thank you for letting us all be a part of it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand again.